You're listening to Felony Podcast with your host, Dave Dahl, on the Startup Radio Network. The Felony Podcast explores ex-felons that have gone on to launch their own startups. We explore the ups, the downs, the behind-the-bar stories with these founders. Felony Podcast airs every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. My name is Mark Grimes, co-founder of Startup Radio Network. Also with us in the studio, Dave's partner in crime, Lad Justison. Hello, this is Dave Dahl, and... We are super excited today to have a really outstanding guest. Um, I'm kind of a little bit challenged at what I'm going to ask this guy. He seems like an intellectual. Um, that scares me. <laughs> don't don't let the number of books fill with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you about that, too. Um, our guest is... Wait, Todd. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot your last name. Was, Brown. Todd Brown. How could I forget Brown? <laughs> Um, and I did some research on you uh, today. Uh, there's a lot of stuff there, but there's really a lot of questions um, about it, too. And I bet you have the answers. Um, myself, I'm not a huge reader. I'm, I'm too slow at reading, although I really love uh, when I get into it. I, I enjoy reading. Uh, I mostly read Internet now, you know, because that's what's available to get my information. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I looked at your at your Amazon profile and a few other things. And it looks like you've been doing this for a little while. Yes. Uh, and you really look like you got your, your stuff together. That's, that's the image I try to keep out there. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Whether it's always accurate, uh, you know. But it's, it's, I actually started, and it's what I go back inside to talk to guys about now because I do that. I've been into Santiam and I've been into EO a couple of times. Um, and what I talk about is starting your program before you get out. I had three. I had three titles finished um, before I hit the street and uh, had one that was just about ready right as I got out, and I just kept going nonstop from that point forward. That's cool. I, that seems to be a common thread uh, for successful people getting out of prison is uh, they need to start a long time before they get out at the very earliest opportunity, take advantage of it, have open mind, have a little bit of humility, and, uh, you know, do what you have to do to become the person you need to be. Uh, it looks like you had some talent that you were able to uh, locate and put to work. It's what I always wanted to do, and all of a sudden I had the time, you know, because before there was always excuses, you know, life always got in the way, and I was always busy. Um, you get a lot of that freed up when you're inside. So I decided real early that before I left, I was going to have a minimum of three projects written. Um, oddly enough, I still waited another almost three years before I got started. And it was because of a college program at EOCI. That, oh, that's great, though. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Took advantage of what was available. Yeah. And, and what, what did you do it. in college? Uh, I got my associates eventually. They had a, a program set up to where you could take one class a term. Uh, and I got in on the very first one, and you only had to pay $10. It took care of your books and tuition, and you just paid 10 bucks. People were donating money, and then the instructors from Blue Mountain were coming down and teaching the courses. And uh, Is this I, opportunity still available? As far as I know, it is still going. And I was the first person to actually stay in it long enough to where the teachers started talking to each other 
up on the hill at Blue Mountain saying, look, he's, he could possibly graduate. He could graduate, and, and he could be a, um, a great example. And, and they, they kept with it, and they actually got a guy that was retiring to come down and teach the lab class. And so we took a three-term geology block, and that was like the biggest obstacle because getting a lab class on the inside, they had to get all the rocks that he was going to bring in, and any tools had to be approved through security. Oh, yeah. he, they a lot jumped, of obstacles. Yeah. yeah, they jumped through all those hoops to make it happen, and it took me 10 years, and I got my associates. And one of the teachers uh, that I worked for in the GED program came up and said, you know, they have a name for people that have a 10-year college degree. It's usually doctor. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty cool. So, so in, in a sense, that's what you are. Um, uh, are you officially PhD or nope nope just an associates mm-hmm. uh, um, my wife's the smart one she's got double masters so she's that's uh, all you need is one in the family ex- right? that's why I tell everybody she's the smart one I make stuff up for a living I've got it easy I, I got so many questions coming into my mind right now um, you know it sounds like you were a lifer almost you did some serious time 13 yeah 13 years uh, do you mind talking about what got you there? I can talk about anything. I don't. I, in fact, that's one of the things that I tell guys on the inside is, if you try to hide, you will be found. And if you try to hide what you're in for, you're going to be found. Mm-hmm. And it's going to come out. So the best thing to do is be honest. I did 13 years on sex abuse one from an ex-wife and a family that I was with back in the 80s, okay. and uh, did 13. Got. I was still in a good time, so I didn't have Measure 11 because it was from. 83 to 89 and uh, I got through that when I got out I went through the programs I've got three years left on paper Um, I've passed every polygraph to the point where my parole officer just says look can you be here on this day to check in I want to talk about that just a little bit not really I don't want to get into details about that because uh, it's not really that important What, what is important is that a lot of times people with a sex crime um, and that sounds terrible to say that. But, That's what uh, it's called. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people with that uh, seem to have a hard time rehabilitating and, uh, you know, being trustworthy out in the streets again. So Absolutely. how in the hell did you do that? That's by, very commendable. By doing it better and cleaner than everybody else at all times. You know, you can do nothing that brings any part of your life into question. Ever. Absolutely. Ever. You know, um, and it's it's the way that I live my life. Do you know yeah. of other people with that sort of uh, past that have, have recu- you know, uh, turned it around? Uh, a couple. Mm-hmm. I do know of a couple. I mean, it's it, but the numbers uh, are slanted in the opposite direction, unfortunately. Yeah, I so. I, when I was in, because there's a program that you have to complete when you get out, at least in Clackamas County, mm-hmm. and while I was in it, it's like I'd show up to class and there'd be three guys missing, mm-hmm. you know, and be like, what happened? Oh, they got caught for this or that or the other. And it's like, good Lord, really? Well, you know, I really, I really, really love to hear this um, because it seems to be a lot of people don't believe that uh, people with uh, sex crimes will ever be um, trustworthy or acceptable again. You are bucking that. And I like it because I'm all about people getting second chances um i've seen a lot of the power of it and now i'm seeing it right now Mm -hmm. again and uh so i'm super excited about that to begin with uh i want to get to um a couple of questions and and we'll see where it goes uh one of the things i want to ask you is are you a businessman or are you a creative i know you're a creative 
But are you a businessman on top of that, or you really just kind of got to do what you got to do? And There's a bit of it. Um, I like to joke around a little bit and tell people that I went to the Gene Simmons School of Business. Yeah. Um, I have found ways to uh, market, cross-promote, or slap a label on something and make it pay off. I mean, I went through six years in the Navy and 13 years inside and didn't have a drop of ink in my skin. Mm. And you can see that that's different now, but the first one I got was my book's logo. Dead. And um, so that's everywhere I go. I've got, you know, shirts. I've got all the, you know, the merchandise that goes with it. And I just find ways to make it visible. I was a sponsor for the Portland Thunder the first year that we had the arena football team. (laughs) I was actually a sponsor. So it was the first time that I was in Moda and saw my logo surrounding me on the on the board and in, in lights, it was mind-blowing. I'm wondering how the hell did you accomplish that? That cost a few bucks, didn't it? It did, but yeah. books were selling well enough that I could do that. And cool. You were putting, you're reinvesting your, uh, yes. your money. That's, it's great that you can do that. Um, you must have had a champion or two out there to kind of help you. My wife being the biggest one. Okay. I mean, she made, she made trips to Pendleton every weekend. Um, Unless the weather on 84 basically made that a no. But she was a regular driver out there mm-hmm. to, to that long trip. And she was the one who I would send the handwritten versions to. And she would type it up, send it to me, and then I would edit it. And then we would do this back and forth. So, And plus she's also the one that got me my physical copy of my very first book. Uh, while I was still inside. I got called to, to, up to D2 to pick up books one day, and the book was mine. And you, um, but she was able to secure um, publishing, mm-hmm. which uh, sounds seems to be a big hurdle. She, because she's got an MBA and she's also a forensic accountant, she's good with numbers and knows how to start businesses. And when she knew that this is what I wanted to do, she started... Uh, MDP, which is our publishing house, which for a while we were actually publishing a lot of other people's works as well. Mm. Um, in fact, uh, one of my friends that eventually got out, Eric Rice, who's with Iron Tribe now, yeah. um, he went to the board and was able to show them his book because he walked into the day room one day and said, you're doing something right, man, and I'm just tired of doing things the way I've been doing. What do you? What is it? And I showed him, and so I said, if you've just got a story, just work on it, and I'll help you. And if nothing, I think one of the great things about that is that in, in there, to have something you're passionate about, uh, you know, not everybody has success in, uh, in the sense of commercial success and all that, mm-hmm. but, you know, it's all about, I was going to ask you about all this at some point, you know, mm-hmm. the process of falling down, getting up, falling down. It's, it's a great process. Um, if hey, you, Dave. If you embrace it. I was going to, you know, we don't really want to hear you right now, but, uh, oh, yeah, go ahead, Len. <laughs> well, hey, um, first of all, um, I'd like to introduce myself to John. Hey, John, my name's Lad. No, it's Todd. Um, Todd, did I say John? Great research. <laughs> okay, sorry about that. Todd. That's okay, hey. Hey, um, I'm, uh, I'm over here in uh, Tucson, Arizona, uh, doing some work for Dave, but um, first of all, I'd like to commend you on on all the things that you've had to endure and, and, and getting out. I, kn- I know that it was a challenge for me. It was a challenge for Dave, and it's a challenge for everybody. But there's 
a little more stipulations on you, and I commend you for where you've come and what you've done. Thanks. Second of all, I want to let you know that Eric Rise is also a good friend of mine. Um, I've known him for many, many years, and he's a, he's a good guy. Yes, he is. And, and third of all, um, since we're talking about your books right now, um, can you throw in some plugs for the people out there listening? Well, we were going to get to that, but <laughs> let's 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 um, let's keep this line of questioning going here a little bit. Um, I want to get to the plugs, but I want to lead up to that a little bit. Um, I first of all, um, let's see how. So obviously, business is good. Mm-hmm. It is. Uh, there was a there was a lull, um, but. It's coming back. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, and how many books do you have? Somewhere over 30. I lost track. Okay, great. That's, that's freaking amazing. <laughs> um, so we want to get to, let's see. Do you, trail, do you tailor your writing for your base, or are you always looking for a new, new base, or you just, do you just write it the way you feel and go from there? I usually just write it the way I feel. The funny thing is, is what I thought was my target audience because of what I write. I mean, I write primarily zombie fiction. Once a year, I write something that's not related to that, but the zombies are what pay the bills. Um, it, I thought I was going to be writing for the average 22 to 40-year-old male. My fan base is largely skewed to the female demographic. You're kidding. For you know, zombies, huh? One of my biggest fans, a lady that lives down in Las Vegas, Nevada, um, I think she just moved out to Arizona, but she, I mean, she can't get enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've actually become friends. In fact, when my wife and I went down for our 13th anniversary, we went down to Las Vegas to redo our vows and get them done in a more uh, enjoyable atmosphere than inside the uh, courtroom at EOCI. Um, She gave us a room. They they own a suite at the MGM Grand Signature Suites, and so we stayed on the 26th floor the whole time we were there. I mean, we walked in the door, and we were just like, wow, this place is is huge. I would like to ask you uh, on another subject. I would like to ask you uh, what makes your product your your product we always talk about product that's what it is it is product uh what makes your books um and your writing different than say other zombie fiction for you know because there's a lot of it out there right Mm -hmm. um what why is yours so appreciated because it doesn't i don't have any military superheroes or guys with all the answers there's no macgyvers um Everybody is pretty much a regular person. It's the guy that you live next door, or it's you. And uh, they make mistakes. Unfortunately, in that environment, mistakes often come with fail yes. consequences. Um, and I'm not afraid to end a major character. Uh, I was inspired by people like Stephen King when I was growing up. And the Harold Lauder scene for me in The Stand was kind of a pivotal moment because he took a guy from being an outcast to basically saving one of the main characters to becoming a bad guy to right as he dies, realizing his mistakes and then dying. And I'm like, you can't kill Harold now. He just figured it out. But he wasn't afraid to. And then, of course, George R.R. Martin, the Game Mm -hmm. of Thrones series. I love it. I mean, in book one, he kills Eddard Stark, you know, beheads him. (laughs) When I read it, I had to back up 10 pages and read it again. Mm. And that just threw me. And so I'm not afraid. So when people read my stuff, if you're 40 pages into the book and the main character's in trouble, you can't go, well, there's still 280 pages left. He'll Mm -hmm. be fine. 
because he doesn't necessarily always make it. Mm. And I've I had emails after one of the books that came out when a major character went down. People just I will never read again. I'll never. And then they get an email at book ten when another main dropped, and they're like, "You sucked me in, and now right. I'm now I'm out for sure this time." But and they then, love it. And then I get a letter after book twelve going, "What an ending!" They get over it. <laughs> yeah, they get over it just like we did with Game of Thrones. Yeah. Um, that one is maybe my all-time favorite uh, show. Breaking Bad was up there. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm much more about watching uh, movies and videos or movies and, hit, and series rather than reading. Cause, so well, that's anyway, why I branched out and do audio work. I was going to ask you more about that. Let me let me um, get to first. What? Tell me about your the, the books you're most proud of, or the books that you want to get out there, want people to know about. Like Lad was saying. I would say that my, my Dead series, the original 12 books of the Dead series, um, that's, that's sort of my flagship. Uh, when I started writing it, I had this grand idea. It didn't really pan out well in book one. The biggest criticism came because of what I thought was a great idea being poorly executed. Um, and that was, I had, because of reading the Martin books, if you read them, actually every chapter is from a character's perspective. So you'll get Tyrion Lannister's chapter, and then you'll get Jamie's chapter, and it might be the exact same event, but you get two different yeah. takes on it. So I might it, have to read that. It really pulls you in and gives you a great perspective, especially during the war when Jon Snow is doing all of his stuff, and and it's just it was it was inspiring. So what I thought I would do was write in three chapter rotations, and I had. The Steve, what I called the Steve chapters, which are a guy telling you his story from first person. And then I had the geeks, which are these four guys who thought the apocalypse was going to be the greatest thing in the world and find out in like two days that it sucks. And in between that, I had what in my head were just little mental zombie cartoons. It was kind of, I called them the vignettes chapter, and it was just global snapshots of things happening all over the world. Hmm. What I ended up doing is, because some of these would only be a page and a half of you know, there'd be like seven or eight different stories in the vignettes chapter. Some of them would only appear that one time, and it was in and out. And so people were like, okay, this character was on a one page, and then I never hear from him. And they didn't get it. That was, you know, the writer has the idea of what's going on, but right. the reader was sort of like, you're not there to hold their hand. So you think you, uh, you that's a, like a mistake that you can correct? Yeah, I learned a lot from it. In fact, I was ready to do away with the vignettes in book three and there was an outpouring because I'd written a post about it and people were like, I'm used to it now. Mm-hmm. You can't. And plus there was, there's actually one vignette that starts in book one and none of them were meant to last more than a couple of pages or chapters at the most. But I have a vignette from book one that made it all the way to book 12. But and there's he, some development that you, that, that people want to. He became one of with. the most popular characters. That's, that's so exciting. That's, that's gotta be a lot of fun to create. It those. is. It's a blast. Yeah. I, I still pinch myself when I get up and say, this is what I do for a living. <laughs> and now I'm starting, I've actually just kicked off another, it's a spinoff from the Dead series. It's set in the same world. Um, it actually all takes place here locally. The main character, uh, Evan, uh, starts off in Portland by Franklin High School, and it just kind of goes from there. And it's, it's book three just came out, and the numbers are once again starting to climb because by the time book 12 of the original series came out, on opening month, it was easily selling a thousand units. Opening month, no problem. How many books do you have to sell to start feeling like it's success? A few hundred a month at least. Um, in fact, when I hit those numbers is when my wife told me to quit 
my day job, which was delivering newspapers by day and phone books, or newspapers at night for the Oregonian and phone books by day. And writing while you're and writing, every, every moment yeah. that you get a chance. And she said, you need to stop that and write full time because I had finally reached a point where the money that was coming in was just about the same as what I'd be making delivering the paper. And she goes, you need to do this. And I'm like, you're unemployed and telling me to quit my job. <laughs> She's like, you can do this. And if you can do it full time and she really devote yourself you. to it, You'll make it happen. Don't worry. We'll get through this, mm. you know. And she was right. <laughs> That's amazing. That's really cool. It's great to have. I mean, we need to have support out here. Um, in general, everybody does. But when when you're coming from where we've been, um, support is is invaluable. Um, I am going to let Lad ask his question now. Okay. Uh, go ahead, Lad. Oh. We lost Lad, thankfully. Um, <laughs> so, okay, well, we'll go with uh, Lad's question and, and ask you, um, what do you want to plug before we move on? I would say now that it's moving, uh, the New Dead series is really uh, where I'm putting the chips now. I mean, it's, it's a reboot. It's set in the same world, but you don't have to have read the original 12 books to get you there, um, although most of my fan base that's i mean they're just they're excited to continue over and have a new series when i announced that i was doing it the response was overwhelming i was blown away by it so um i'm real excited to do that and that's actually going to be my sole focus for this entire year is just the new dead series to get those numbers back and to get it back to what the previous series was so so everybody look look up tw brown on um, on Amazon mm -hmm. and also your your website twbrown.com maybe yes it's, okay uh, yes uh, I think it's author twbrown.com is the actual website and okay. uh, you can find me there and if you if you're like you and don't necessarily like to sit there and hold a book or hold a Kindle everything is on Audible um, in fact now with the new series and now that I've just started my new company which is under the Stairs Productions um, I'm producing the audio versions of the New Dead series. And doing the voice work on that myself, so I'm. Um, so you're a busy man. Sixteen hour days, seven days a week, and you love it. Love <laughs> every minute of it. Absolutely. God, it's like you know, I I know that. I know how that feels. You know, just to be working way too hard and loving it. You know, that's passion at work, and that's a big uh, lesson for folks that are doing time. Or you know, people in general. But I I identify with the the guys, the underdogs like that, and. You know, you don't just um, envision a bunch of cash at your doorstep. You have to, you have to find something you love to do, and it, it can be it can be digging ditches. Honestly, um, I was willing to do whatever I had to do when I got out of prison. Yep. Uh, and I was fortunate. My mom let me live in a garage, and uh, it was better than any place I ever did time at. <laughs> so, I. Uh, I was able to, you know, work and live in that garage until I had a better opportunity, and it just kept going. Uh, so that's, you know, that's really what I want to tell people, um, and that's what you're—you're you're an inspiration, and uh, I just think this is—we're—we're we're talking about some great stuff here. Um, do you have anything you want to add to what you were saying? While I'm, I would just say that you know, I mean, the biggest thing for me is. Working as much as I do, for one, like I said, it doesn't feel like work, and I do it from home. So my commute is from my bedroom down the hall to my office or down to the cabinet where I have my recording thing set up. 
Uh, other than that, I mean, I spend all day working with my dogs. I have two Newfoundlands that uh, do show work and are working on water rescue certification and stuff. And I get to do what I love every single day. So it doesn't really feel like work. Yeah. And you're fortunate and, you know, you know you're accountable. Um, you got to be accountable to, to what you're doing. And I remember only selling, you know, when my numbers were, if I hit 10 books for the month for everything total, it, it was exciting. Mm-hmm. You know, when it took off the way it did, I wasn't planning on that happening. Yeah, word of mouth. And you're, uh, I would say there's a lot of guerrilla marketing involved here. Um, maybe, you know, not the, maybe not traditional guerrilla, guerrilla marketing, but what's that? Right place, right time is what it was for me. Yeah, but you've taken advantage of opportunities that have come along, I'm sure. You've been, like, on it. All the time, you yeah. have to. <laughs> yeah. That's why I started doing audiobooks, because I knew when book 12 came out, I wasn't sure what was going to happen next. And I had to have something else that was going to keep things moving. Mm-hmm. And even that took almost a year before I finally got a writer who liked my voice well enough and said, I want you to do my entire catalog. And it just so happens that she's a USA Today bestseller. So now you're actually audioing other people's books? Yes. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yep. So um, that's another lesson that I want to get to. Um, you obviously enjoyed what you're doing. Uh, people... Um, you know, people a lot of times think you have to be a businessman, per se, uh, to be successful in business. Um, I'm not really a businessman. I, I Other people take care of the, you know, I, I don't want to say bean counter, but I'm going to. The bean counter stuff. Mm-hmm. Somebody else has got to do that. Um, i got to keep track of it, but really that's not my forte. I'm a creative, and I want to be able to focus on that. And so um, I think that, you know, that's a, it's a good thing to, some people will excel at the, at the other stuff and more power to you. But um, there's all different sorts of places that a, pe- a person can fit in when they get out. And a lot of times it's just working for somebody and being great at working for somebody. Um, you know, but there's also, there's also opportunity for, it's pretty much anything you can dream, anything you can envision happening um you can actually see a sort of a process to get to it's not going to be perfect but you know there's a process that you can begin to see uh design your life design your um business design whatever you're you're going to do yeah. it's all about design in my in my mind so uh i wanted to ask you, you know, give me some surprise any surprise stuff along the way things that have happened you know, things that have happened, things that maybe... Oh, yeah. Um, I would say a couple of them being, for one, the way my books took off. Because, like I said, that wasn't expected. Um, it happened back in 2011. I mean, I can t- pinpoint the date. It was November of 2011, and I'd gotten out in June. Mm. Um, and Amazon had just started up what they call the KDP program, which meant you made your book exclusive to them for 90 days on the digital format. They would give you five days where you could put your book out for free, and they would sort of promote it. If that's your, if you only have one book, it's a lousy marketing tool. But mm-hmm. we decided after some friends of mine said, "Hey, I did 500 freebies. You know, you're not sure. making a penny, but if you've, like I said, if you've got a series." So we talked about it, and my wife was sort of against it, but she said, "Yeah, go ahead. I'll let you have this one." And 
we threw it out there for the weekend and I was really saying, you know, 500, that's got to be my number. Because if I can get 10% of those people to buy book two, mm. I'm going to quadruple my sales in a span of a month, you know, and maybe make 30. Um, and it did 10,000 that weekend. No, that, that's a great lesson. Again, I mean, sometimes you have to put seed money out there. You, you have to put your resources out there and it, and it can be really hard. It was because you're giving away something that you did that you labored on for nothing. But when 10,000 units went out, all of a sudden, within days, I started seeing book two start to move. And then my series, my dead series, started bouncing. And then they just took off. I mean, yeah. they went to numbers that I never imagined. I mean, I just didn't. And so that threw me. Um, I would say that the people that I met along the way, there were some people that were super supportive. Um, I have my share of detractors. I mean, people that still actively campaign on social media saying, how can you buy this guy's book? He's an animal. <laughs> and you just have to, you can't engage that. You cannot let that take It's got to be a fairly limited number, right? It is, is. Is it pretty bad? Is it, it's, like it's, a- it's, it's a limited number. And it was also what I started noticing is it was when I started selling more copies than some other people that they sort oh. of jumped on that bandwagon. Wow. And yeah. they were people that I had been friends with and fans of their work. And then when my stuff started selling more, um, because anybody that I developed a personal relationship with, I have a, we have a policy of absolute truth. So mm-hmm. we have to say, hey, here's the situation. There was what I did, you know, time-wise, and this is why. I don't want to talk about details. I don't want to talk about anything else. But you need to know that these are the facts, you know, and that's, that's make powerful. your own decision. Some, Very powerful. Some people made the decision later on when I started doing better that all of a sudden they were going to go on social media and say, you can't support this guy because he's this, he's that. And, You've got to be pretty uh, thick-skinned um, mm-hmm. to a degree. Uh, and, uh, I mean, but there's, a, again, a lesson about being transparent, which can be – people appreciate that, you know. You cannot hide in this era. It's, yeah. it's just not – it's just not possible. And what's funny is you can't find me. I mean, I have friends that go to look me up and say, well, I would just want to see what's, you know, what's out there. And they, they say the only thing I can find is the things that you've released, the things, the statements you've made on your blog or in interviews because I'm not a threat level. So I'm not on the big registry where they've got pictures, faces, and notify the uh, entire county when this person moves there type thing. I'm a non-factor. And because of that, I don't show up in bold print. You can't, you, you can't find me. And, but it doesn't matter, especially if I'm going to develop a friendship with somebody. I have to tell them straight up because I don't want them to find out later. I totally get that. It's not, not if you're going to call that person friend. If they're going to be your friend, you have to tell them everything. Now, every random on the street, do I need to give them a whole story? No. But anytime you're going to develop a relationship with somebody, then it's vital. Yeah, I, uh, I, I got to admit, when I first, uh, I was looking this stuff up, I'm like, okay, where's some information about, you know, his past? You don't just throw it out there, um, but you're willing to you're willing to talk about it because people are going to find out. They anyway. will. I did the same thing with the bread, you know, and it, it just, I, but I did it a little different. I was out there because I didn't, I had more, I had armed robbery, you know, drug dealing, burglary and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So that's more accepted and you know um and so i was able to actually put it on the bread bag and say hey look this is this is me um this is the dave and it was well received yeah 
Um, but, you know, I mean, I've had all kinds of issues. And uh, you just got to make the most of it. It's know. a matter of getting up more times than you're knocked down. I mean, it's an yeah. old saying, but it's the truth. You that's have big. to accept it. And that's the message when I go inside and talk to guys. I tell them straight up. I say, look, for one, A, you have to be planning now. Mm. I mean, the most popular phrase inside is, when I get to the streets, I'll, you know. Okay, please. <laughs> please uh, expand on that. That is fantastic. It's, it's the mindset that a lot of guys get inside that they think that they're going to make some miraculous life change once they get out. And the reality is, especially the longer you've sat inside, because this is a different world. I mean, I fell in 1998. To come out in 2011, I mean, for one, nobody in my neighborhood had a portable phone. Mm. <laughs> Everything changes. You know, my computer was the top of the line, and it was a two gigabyte Pentium yeah. 144 and my phone that my wife handed me at the gate was more powerful than that and yes. this world will knock you right off your feet and you're going to get swept up into old routines because you're just not going to be able to deal if you keep saying later 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 then when you get out later's already passed you know and if you're not building yourself a nice barricade to take that onslaught of fixing yourself, no matter what your problems might be, uh, then you're just not going to be prepared. And it's going to set you up for failure because you're going to hear no so many more times than you hear yes early on that you're just going to get to that mindset of, well, I should just go back to the old ways because that's yeah. what worked for me before. But, you know, instant gratification. And you forget deal. how much you used to sit in the day room and complain yeah. about how much you hated that place. And it's like anything. The the distance makes it – because some guys, that's where they go to feel accepted because that's the one place they are, quote, somebody. Mm -hmm. Is that really what you want, to be somebody in prison? Or because you, that's what you'll always get. Yeah, and mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's nowhere fast, mm -hmm. you know. And so – I mean, I made my mind up early on to make the, make the changes I was going to make for myself based on what I knew I needed to fix, and I stayed with it. And mm -hmm. I never, you know, I mean, I had setbacks, you always do, but I always accepted those as that's part of the process mm -hmm. and just kept going, kept going, kept going. And so when I would talk to people and they'd be like, well, you know, when I get to the streets, and I'm like, well, look at all the time you have right now. You're never going to have this time again. That's right. You know, I mean, I've and I've actually spoken to a guy who was a cellie of mine for almost a year that is living in Tent City. And he, the last time I had him over for a meal, he said, you kept telling me, you know, get out of bed. Don't stay in bed till 10 o'clock. Do nothing and do a unit orderly job and just get by. I needed to be working now, and now I just have no work ethic. But oh, okay. So, but it's never over till it's over. But it sounds like he's kind of given up. He has, and but I keep, you know, every once in a while, I just sort of reach out and say, "What are you doing?" Mm -hmm. You know, and because social media makes that easier, because everybody, even even homeless, even homeless people, mm -hmm. are on it. You know, yeah. and and so we've had a couple of conversations, and he jump starts it every once in a while, but he gets back into the it's everybody's fault but mine oh my God, thing. Oh, won't work. And it's failure set up. I mm. mean, so... The, the interesting thing about successful people in general is they don't... Um, I, I don't believe very many of them, unless the, it had was handed to them somehow, 
not very many of them blame and make excuses because that's not how you get there. No, you have to take all the accountability on your shoulders, good, bad, or otherwise. Because, the, you know, what, what that means is you have the power to change. You, mm-hmm. you don't put it on somebody else's shoulders. You don't, you know, because they they're not going to make you successful. Who's going to make you successful? You are. And you're not going to do it by blaming and make excuses. And it's being willing to do it every single day. I mean, that's, that's I get up every day between 2 and 3 in the morning. That's my wake-up time because, for one, that's with, with two African gray parrots and two Newfoundlands. That's the only time the house is quiet. <laughs> Even with a recording studio, you still have noise. And so it, that's the only time I can get in and get guaranteed recording time done uh, on any project that I'm doing at the time. So I get up at 2. I do all that. Then I go get the wife's coffee. I get her up. I get her ready for work. She leaves. And I have a set routine that involves housework, cleaning, writing, recording. Yes, very. Yes, you have to be structured. I really um, admire it, and I'm inspired by by your work ethic. Um, before we go, we before we go too much further, I want to make sure that we do talk about the new the new fee. Oh, Is that what yes. you call it? Yes. Uh, I did read a little bit about that. I read about your interesting experience trying to get trying to you know enter a show you entered the show but then tell us a little bit about that it was uh as a novice um i was actually in the novice category as a novice handler because a lot of people who are really serious about it they hire people because that person that's all they do and that's the only dog they work with and so they know how to make that dog look its best in the ring for me, it was just a matter of it was a bonding thing to do with my dog. That the ribbons were really secondary. Great dog, right? Yeah, and we had a lady that was a judge, and we're standing there. I mean, I'm no further away from the ring than I am from you, as they call one class after another after another. And I'm waiting and waiting, and finally she says, "Okay, winners to the ring." And I'm like, um, the <laughs> "I haven't no- even the novice class never got called." And she turns around, and she goes, "Yes, it did." And I go, no, it didn't. And then even the, the ring steward's like, no, I never called it. I missed it. I'm so sorry. She goes, no, you called it three times. And she's like, no, I didn't. A bunch of other handlers, because I'd been meeting handlers, because this was like my fourth or fifth actual show, and you meet all the same people because it's usually a lot of the same dogs. And I didn't know what to do. And one of the handlers went and got the AKC rep and brought the AKC rep over, and, and I was allowed to go in. And the lady had a real negative attitude. And I'm like, you know, your sport's dying on the vine because of this mentality. Every book you read, if you are reading a book about being a handler, the first thing it tells you is new people get mowed down left and right. And I'm like, that's not really encouraging. That's screwy. So, and I'm really more focused on her doing her breed things, which are things like water rescue and draft cart pulling. The ring is really just a beauty contest and a lot of it's political and you know how that kind of stuff oh, can absolutely, be, yeah. you know, and, and so I'm familiar with those sorts of things. And I even told her, I said, look, we're not going to win. You've already made up your mind. I could have the best dog in the ring right now. And she goes, that's not true at all. We had watched her judge every dog leading up to us. And there was a certain marker that she watched them lead to. I had gotten to the first turn, looked over my shoulder, and she had already walked back to the table. (laughs) She was done with me. And, you know, and so I just had to accept that. And, I mean, and I, I mean, I did comment to her and tell her that I thought she was unprofessional and that her attitude was going to be part of what kills this, you know, sport. But I took a year away from not doing it at all. And we now have our new 
uh, our new baby, and she's 11 months old. She's going into the ring next month. Oh, wait, this is February. She's going in this month, um, and we're taking her in to see how she does. And it's just really going to be sort of a hit and miss. And the other thing will be whether she likes it or not, um, because I know that Freya, the one that I first did this with, she really didn't get a thrill out of being in the ring, but the moment you show her water, it's like pulling into Disneyland parking lot with a 10-year-old. I mean, she's just, she's ready to go. That's part of the test, is getting in the water? Well, that's a whole different world, because the ring is really just confirmation. It's like when you watch that AKC show that's on USA, and they show the Westminster thing. Mm. That's what that is. But what the Newfies are bred for, I mean, they have webbed feet for really? a reason. They're, they, if you look at their paws, and they don't have a dog paddle, they actually have a swimming stroke. They're <laughs> built for water rescue. And so if you're trying to qualify them in that regard, which is what I worked on last summer, and we'll try to qualify them in this year in September because I couldn't go to the qualifying rounds. I was at Spartan Race this year, so I missed this year's qualifying. So Frey Can't gets do an extra everything. year. Yeah, so it's, uh, they have to actually go out to a boat and pull it to shore with two people in it. Um, they get a buoy. The person in the boat hands them a buoy. They come back. The judge has to hear the boat ground. Um, there's another thing where you hand them a buoy with a rope, and they have to go out to a person and bring them back. And then as the degree levels increase, because there's like three levels to the uh, water rescue uh, certification, the last level, one of the things that they have to do is you have a person laying out in the water like a body. And the An dog goes person. out. Yeah. In fact, I'm usually the dead man. Mm-hmm. Um, the dog comes out and they grab you by the hand and they take you all the way to shore and they can't let go of you until they bring you to their handler. And Are they gentle with your hand or are they just... They actually give you clamp. special gloves. They give mm-hmm. you special gloves to wear because the, they have to hold on. And, yeah. and I'm not little. I mean, I'm 260 <laughs> pounds, so that dog bit. has to pull, you know. Yeah. Um, but they get you all the way to shore and... Uh, there are other people in the water that are, quote, distractions that are, you know, they jump around, they make noise, and the dog has to ignore all that and go to the person floating that, cool. the, that the owner pointed out. And that's the stuff I'm more interested Amazing. in, and that's yeah. the stuff we're working dog on. Dog behavior is uh, really cool. And uh, sounds like a Newf- Newfoundland, is that, is that the right? Mm-hmm. Um, they're like special dogs, very special. Yes, actually, if you are familiar with the story Peter Pan, the dog in the nursery, Nana, was a Newfie. Mm. The, that, he modeled after his own dog. Okay. Um, did we get Lad back? Okay. Uh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. Lad, what's I'm up? Here. <laughs> what's happening? You want, you want, I know dogs is like your, your cup of tea. Why don't you ask a question or two? Well, you know, do you think you could uh, teach my chihuahua to do that stuff? <laughs> He's got a great with, chihuahua. With, with Barbie dolls and G.I. Joes? Yeah. Sure. I think, a ch- I think a chihuahua is about as big a dog as Lad could handle anyway. So, Lad, tell us, or, or ask him some questions. It's your turn. Well, well you know, um, I want to go back to an earlier part of the conversation you were having with Todd, and, and you know, uh, the people who obviously are listening to our podcast, they are family, friends, relatives of people who are incarcerated. Um, and so the the theme that we've had in the past three callers, I mean three um, guests, is education in prison. Um, it's just so important. And, you know, I, I know that that was something, Dave, that changed your life in prison. It obviously uh, changed Todd's life. And uh, Noah, our guest last week, also um, took advantage of uh, the the advantages of college inside there. So I just think that's 
just a wonderful thing. And I'd like to give some press to our callers. If you have someone, I mean, not our callers, but our, our listeners, if you have someone president, um, please encourage them to oh, take yeah. advantage of all the education. That's right. And, you know, Todd uh, spent, does a lot of outreach, I, I think, and mm-hmm. goes into prisons, uh, some of the prisons we've been in and, and so so on. He, um, I think that's one of his big uh, things that he says, talks yeah. about. I was uh, also a tutor for uh, almost five years in the GED program at EOCI as well. I, I worked a couple years in the bakery, then I was a tutor, and then we started a music program. And I learned to play guitar inside, so I was actually teaching guitar by the time I... By the time I left, oh, that's another thing. You have uh, guitars. You have a guitar collection. Yes, I so do. So do I. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm not nearly as good as a guitarist as I am a writer, but uh, uh, I'm fortunate to have people that like to come over and teach me a little thing here and there. And well, it's too bad we didn't have a couple guitars in the studio today. We could have jammed out a little I bit just for a rhythm. quickie. <laughs> yeah, all three of us could have gone there. there oh yeah, see? And there. You know, we have a lot of musicians around here. Alon, um, are you? Been playing since I was eight. But you long, long time. So you play all different sorts of stuff. I or? sure do. Yeah, record producer as well. Yeah, right on. One yeah. of my off, uh, off. Every tell you every year I write something that's not zombie related. And a couple years ago I wrote a book called Tribute about the tribute band scene here in Portland. Oh, nice. So I talked to the guys. I'm actually friends with a lot of these guys now from Unchained, Shoot to Thrill, um, uh, the Metallica tribute group, Motor Breath. I mean, uh, just. Some of really? those are just so tight. It's oh, amazing. Yeah. It's yeah. Am- if you go to Hairfest in Canby, uh, it's going to be three days this year, and I think there's going to be over 20 bands, everything from literally ACZC to, to Zeppelin. All so, tribute bands. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they work to have the look and the sound nailed down tight. Oh, that so good. it's amazing. Yeah, when Rob Halford left Judas Priest for a while, they actually hired the guy from Portland, the lead singer of the tribute band, to be the singer of Judas Priest. Yes. I think that was in a movie almost. Uh, they, they kind of addressed, it wasn't Judas Priest in the movie, but it was based on that, and the movie, I don't remember the that movie. That would make sense. They do a lot of, it's just, it's a really good group, and they do a lot of, like, community support stuff as well. In fact, I'm working with uh, Sandy Am to bring a couple of the bands inside to do a show for the guys there. Awesome. Um, working with security to make that happen. But back to the education thing, I will say that when I worked as a tutor, uh, a lot of these guys, the first time they've ever succeeded in something that was extremely challenging for them was getting that GED. And to see them graduate and come up to you afterwards and say, man, you never gave up on me and look. I did it, and I'm like, yeah, you did. Every bit of it was you, because I wasn't there for your tests. Let me ask you about that, because, man, I, I, that is huge. You know, there's giving back in that way is, uh, is selfish. And people don't get that. Mm-hmm. It's selfish in the sense that it makes you feel good. You're, good. you're doing it because this is your world. You're making it better. You're happy about it. Um, it makes you happy to do that. Now, that's selfish in the best possible way. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, people don't get, it's like, well, what am I going to get out of that? You know, what, what's, what's that going to pay me? You know, it's not like that. You, it's the, doing it alone, doing it itself is the pay. If you're able to get more than that out of it, great. But I love giving back. That's, uh, it's one of the things that I told myself regularly while I was inside is that I'm not going to forget this. And one of the best ways to not forget it is to be involved in helping people that are on that side now. Because the first time I went into EO and did a talk in there, 
the first time that door shut behind me, I just about had a panic attack. <laughs> I was like, I don't like that sound at all. Wait a minute, did I do something? Yeah, wrong? you know. And, but then at the end of the morning, you know, I got to hear that door shut again as I was walking out. You know, that was the fastest day ever. So um, it was, and it does feel good. And there's really something to be said about, you know, not knowing because. I have no idea if anybody that I've ever spoken in front of has heard anything and used it. You don't know. But if one person did. But they have. If one person did and didn't go back, it's all worth it. That's, man, dude, you're like a man after my own heart. I, I knew that from the very beginning when I first started uh, you know, talking about my story and people were interested and in, you know, they were inspired by it. You know, I'm inspired by a lot of people, um, but it was it fascinated me uh, that you know people were talking about how it was you know affecting this person or that person mm -hmm. or you know changing the way they think a little bit. And I was like, when would it be so great when I when I actually see the results of this when when I down the road? And it's been a lot of years now, and I've seen just amazing. Uh, support and you know just ama amazing results and uh, you know i can't take the credit for it but i would like to think that i made a difference well and what's fantastic is when you're doing all of this you're not really paying attention to it but everybody around you is mm -hmm. so when you hit that hiccup and you will a lot of people are going to say you know what this guy has been here for everybody from day one and all of a sudden people you didn't think about rally around and they're there to pick you up Dude, you know, you talking my, <laughs> you know my story a little yeah. bit, right? Yeah. You know about 2013. Yeah. Okay, that's that's exactly what happened. You know, I thought I thought it was over, man. You know, I thought God, you know, I, I mean, I still felt the same way about everything. I thought I was a good guy, and this thing happened. It was uh, I fell off the edge, and uh, but you know, at first there was it was struggle because all I was hearing, all I was seeing, it was bad results. Well, and I can speak from somebody that was on the outside watching it mm -hmm. because anybody that's done time at least in this state and has moved on from it knows some of your story yeah you know and they 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 walk into the grocery store and they go that guy was one of us and look what he did and you use that as a regular inspiration you see that bag on the shelf and you're like see you drive by and you go across the street at Dan you know at Bob's Red Mill and you see mm -hmm. your place and you go he did that by never blinking, and then you hit that that wall, and a lot of us were like, "He'll get up, he'll get back up." Nothing. You know, I mean, it Thank wasn't you. it wasn't going to be permanent. None of us thought that that was your ending. Another big lesson for people. You know, yeah. we all knew you'd get I back up. That. I appreciate that. You know, that meant a lot to me. The people who uh, rallied. You know, because a lot of people around me didn't. They were like, uh, you know. I don't know, but it, but a lot, but it, fortunately, a few did, and but that's because the meat, and I don't want to turn this into a media bashing platform, but that's because they take an aspect of something that's going to get the most viewers, and it's always easier to get people to look at the down yeah. aspect of things and to pile on, and so for those of us who have been on the other end of that story, whether it's you know the paper or the TV or whatever, we all go, they're only telling part of it. Yeah, so where's the rest? A lot of people are capable of seeing that, and, you know, and those are the people, uh, the people who have open minds and have experienced life on, on a level of some suffering and some challenges and some getting down, getting falling down, getting up, 
um, can relate. Yeah. Right. None yeah. of us thought that was the end of you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Well, this is not about me, right? So <laughs> <laughs> I love talking about me, but <laughs> don't we um, all? Yeah. If we're doing so, well. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, is there any more you want to talk about the dog or anything? Because I, I mean, it, I know you're passionate about that. Mm-hmm. And if there's any more you want to say about that, Lad, did you want to ask him another question? Well, you know, I just wanted to say first of all that there's been a theme on the show ever since we started it. And that is that the guests always suck up to you. You know, I'm not sure why this is happening. That was honest. (laughs) That was honest appraisal, honest, (laughs) honest realism right there. So shut up. Okay, you're right. But here's here's my question to Todd. You know, I know that Dave has told a story about how he actually had some dreams about what was going to happen to him when he got out. And so... So Todd, when you were in there and you were thinking about these books and you were thinking, you know, you were writing these books and everything, there had to be some kind of a dream in your head, which actually came into something, some action. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, but it's a little bit embarrassing because it's very selfish. That's okay. Um, <laughs> it's real, right? We've all, yeah, we've all done time and we've all had that guard, the one that when you see him walking up the tier, you're like, oh. God, this day, gonna, uh, mm-hmm. this day is going to be awful. And I had one. And, you know, there were, there were a few of them at, at EO, and, and I had one that was regularly annoying. And uh, I just kept telling myself, I'm going to leave here, and he's still going to be here, and he'll still be his miserable self. God damn, this sounds exactly like my story. Go ahead. And I won't have to look in the mirror and see that face or have that sour disposition. And then the first time I came back to EO to be a speaker, um, actually one of the sergeants who was very supportive of my writing comes up to me right as I'm walking through the door, and he goes, I heard you were going to be here today. I'm so thrilled, man. You did it. You said you were going to, and you did it. And then, out of the blue, the one that I couldn't stand, and I'm not doing any names, but he walks up and he goes, well, I guess you used to be here. And I just looked him in the eye and I said, yeah, and you dicked with me enough while I was here that I got nothing to say to you now. I mean, we're not shaking hands, because he had his hands sticking out. Mm -hmm. And I said, we're not shaking hands, pal. I said, you can hit the bricks. You got no control over me now, and you're exactly where I said you would be when I was doing time. Well, because he was still the same jackass. Yeah, and, you know, he wanted to cozy up to the guy who was going to be a speaker. And what was interesting was the Eastern Oregonian newspaper did a feature on my appearance, and it got picked up by over 400 different media outlets around the country, and I was contacted because my books were just coming out on Audible, I was contacted by the president of Audible, and he basically said, I read your story, and if you ever need anything or need any help, I'm here. And I was just like, as I'm reading that, I kept going back to that little meeting at the, at the entry with this one particular correctional officer, and I had told myself, I'm going to bury you one day, and you are going to be so inconsequential. And so, like I said, it, it was a selfish thing, but... Uh, that that moment did come true. So you were, you were a killer success story, all, uh, you know, coming out of it's people don't get. I mean, that guy probably didn't think anything about about how you worked for that, and you know, all the different things, the challenges that you had had to overcome, and him being one of those challenges, and you you actually come becoming to a point where you must have had a little bit of compassion for him. I mean, that was my thing when I with I was like, this guy's. Way more upset, unhappy. I felt than sorry for him. Yeah, 
way more unhappy than I am. It was pity. Yeah, here he is. I'm free. My, I'm mentally free. I'm, I may be locked up, but I'm mentally free. This guy's not ever. How and, bad is yeah. that? Yeah, and it's you know. How good is that? Yeah, and 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 that for me was just one of those things where I was like, I told myself that someday this would happen, and. You know, you you have those delusions of grandeur about your writing and think someday and everything. But maybe then the, they weren't delusions. The, the real <laughs> the real part of your brain that's the logical part goes, dude, you're not gonna be that. Yeah. So just relax. And I mean, I'm not you got to hear that Stephen voice. King level, yeah. but I do well. Um, I bought a house. I've never done anything but low level apartment living, and I've never owned a new car. And I have all of that now, and plus my new fees and uh, an amazing wife. And, and living wife. the dream. Yeah, an amazing wife and friends and, and people that I surround myself with that I trust and feel good about. That is just such a success. That is where success is. And then I got invited here, which yeah. is really cool. Well, it's great. To, I mean, can you believe this guy? He's a fantastic guest. And um, I'm, I've, had a, I've had a great time talking to you. Alan, where are we at, man? Um, we're about ready to wrap it up. I think this has been a... Awesome episode, and thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having Hopefully me. Hopefully next time uh, we'll have you back because this is I think this is going to be a, a constant thing. We're going to bring back people who are great, and uh, maybe we'll jam out a little bit too or something. I'll learn rhythm because <laughs> <laughs> that's what I can do. All right. Uh, hey, Todd. Yes. Hey, uh, you know what you need to do? I hate to uh, shamelessly promote our band, but we have a band called the Killer Granddaddies. And uh, maybe you can convince Dave uh, to have us uh, go in and play for the fellas. Well, there you go. You know, Lad's just always out coming out of the blue with some silly crap. Um, <laughs> anything Lad says, just take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> Uh, it's been it's been absolutely phenomenal uh, to do this. The time has gone by really quickly for me, and um, yeah, it's been great to talk to T. W. Brown. Thank you for Brown. having me. Thanks for having me. That was what a, a guest. Yeah. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. Ten percent of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.